Hello, and welcome to Perspectives, a podcast by the Public Health Review, a graduate, student-led, online, peer-reviewed, open-access public health journal published by the University of Minnesota Libraries. My name is Caroline Sell, and I'm the 2019 podcast editor of Perspectives. Thank you so much for joining us and engaging in our public health conversations. In this episode, we wanted to learn more about what health looks like in rural settings. First, we talked with Carrie Henning-Smith from the Rural Health Research Center based here at the University of Minnesota. Here's our interview. Can you tell listeners your name, organization, your position, and your primary research interest and your focus of your work? Sure. Uh, My name is Carrie Henning-Smith. I'm an assistant professor in health policy and management, and I'm the deputy director of the University of Minnesota Rural Health Research Center. And my work is focused on aging and on rural health, and most of the time on the intersection of those two. And how long have you been working at the Rural Health Research Center, and how did you become interested in this topic? I have been at the Rural Health Research Center since 2015, so four years now, Um, and I became interested in rural health for a couple of reasons. One reason is personal. I have a lot of uh, deep rural roots in my own family um, across the Midwest and different parts of the country. My grandparents were all from rural areas, and then I grew up in a very small town, and um, so it feels personal. It resonates with me personally. And then um, academically or research speaking, I've always been really interested in how the places that we live impact our health and our quality of life. Um, So anywhere from the house that you live in and the people that you live with to your broader community and environmental context. And for that reason, rural is just a really perfect fit because I'm able to study how the impact of place impacts people's health and well-being. Um, So for listeners who might not be so familiar with this particular area of public health, how would you describe some of the main concerns surrounding rural health? Sure. Uh, Well, there are a lot of really good things, and we might talk about those. Um, Some of the concerns include a general lack of resources. We, when it comes to health care, there's been a decline in available resources to rural populations. We've seen hospital closures here at the Rural Health Research Center. We've done work on obstetric unit closures. Um, and we're seeing declining trends across the board in availability of healthcare services for people. It's also associated with a lack of health providers and healthcare workforce. Um, but I think the issue goes beyond just healthcare. There are fewer resources in rural communities in general, fewer economic resources, rural areas were hit harder by the Great Recession and they've rebounded more slowly. We see fewer available jobs in rural communities. Uh, And then demographically speaking, and this is where my research really gets interesting, I think, rural areas are aging at a faster rate than urban areas. They have older populations on average And there's a lot of good that comes with that, but there are also all sorts of challenges when people are in the later stages of their life and they may need need more complex care that's not always as readily available in rural settings. Would you like to speak about some of the positives that you have also found? Yes, yeah, I would love to. Uh, 
There's so much good in rural areas. I, for one thing, I think when I'm when I'm talking about rural health or rural areas, to folks who may not spend a lot of their time thinking about rural areas, and that's true of a lot of people here in the Twin Cities because we live in an urban environment, um, I often find myself reminding people that so much of our lives is wrapped up in what happens in a rural context. The food we eat, the energy that we consume, the beautiful spaces that we love to visit, the places that we drive through or fly over. Um, so many of those are very rural. Not all, but so many of those are very rural. Uh, and we can't, you can't live in an urban setting without having a relationship with rural areas, whether you're thinking about them or not. And so I think that's a real positive. I think we need to have a symbiotic relationship between rural and urban environments. Um, and then within rural contexts, I think there's just so much good that's happening. With fewer resources, we see a lot of innovation, a lot of resourcefulness, a lot of creativity and flexibility. People do the best that they can with what they have, and sometimes people do really incredible things. Um, I think with an older population, there's a lot of good that can come with that too, a lot of accumulated experiences and skills and knowledge if we're able to um, plug into that and think of ways that everyone can be meaningfully engaged. And in my own research, I have done research recently on social isolation and the differences between rural and urban populations in social isolation. And there we found that residents of rural areas have bigger and stronger social networks. They have more friends and more family members and they're more likely to say that they can rely on those friends and family members. So it's nice to see some of those positive findings. A lot of the work that we do finds deficits in rural, but we know that there's a lot of really wonderful things in rural areas too. So you might have touched on this a little bit, but mm -hmm. what have been some of the biggest surprises that you found in your work and research? This, this was one of the hardest questions that you had on your list. Um, because I'm not sure that there's that much that really surprises me. We were pleasantly surprised to see the difference in the social networks for rural and urban environments. We were happy to see um, a positive finding for rural populations. So that, I, I don't know that that surprised me. I think I actually went in knowing that rural communities tend to be very um, tightly knit and strong, but it was nice to affirm that. Um, another finding that surprised me, and this is more on the negative findings, but recently I did a study on supportive services for unpaid caregivers and rural and urban differences there. And we looked, we looked at all informal caregivers or unpaid caregivers, but we also looked specifically at caregivers who are employed and we looked to see whether there are rural and urban differences in the supportive services available to people through their workplaces. And there we found really dramatic differences where rural residents were much, much less likely to have workplace supports available to them. One example of that is that about a quarter of urban residents say that they can telecommute or work remotely. Less than 10% of rural residents say that. Um, it makes sense. We know that jobs are different in rural areas and that you might have a job where you have to show up. You can't phone it in. Um, 
but it really matters for people in, who are providing care to someone and who need some flexibility in their life. And we found differences across the board in all sorts of workplace supports, but that's one example. Um, are you hopeful about the future of, um, you mentioned the availability of healthcare um, in rural communities, and what are some of the biggest challenges you're facing regarding that right now? Um, and maybe you could speak to some of the solutions that you've also kind of found in your research? Yeah, about healthcare specifically, or health yes. generally, yes. healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm cautiously hopeful about healthcare. I think that there's been a lot of media and policy attention to the problem of declining access to care in rural communities. And I think um, as a society, we are, I hope, reaching a point where we're deciding that this is something that needs to be paid attention to and needs to have some resources funneled toward it. And so I'm cautiously optimistic about that. There has been some um, good movement in federal policy recently to address this. And some of this is work that we've been involved with, with the obstetric unit closures, where there was recently a bill passed that we had um, provided some research support for. And that bill is the Improving Access to Maternity Care Act. And with that bill, they are expanding health professional shortage areas to include maternity care shortage areas. So that gives me some hope. And there's some other um, policy movements on both the federal and state levels that give me some hope um, around healthcare access. I think the biggest challenges are, again, just limited resources, financial resources, limited number of people. There, um, there are a lot of jobs to fill, particularly direct care workforce. Um, and so getting enough people who can take those jobs to staff the healthcare facilities that we have in rural areas is really challenging. Um, immigration is a big challenge here. I, we know that by restricting immigration, we are restricting the available healthcare workforce. Uh, and I think that that's felt most acutely in rural settings where having enough people to staff different jobs is particularly challenging. And so the, mo- the more that we restrict immigration into the country, the more that that's felt. So I think that's really challenging and very political and very, um, very challenging for that reason. It can be very divisive. Um, in terms of solutions beyond the, some of the federal policy solutions, we, we've seen just a lot of creativity and a lot of resourcefulness, as I said, and I think in rural communities that in particular, there can be really good use of community health workers, nurses and nurse practitioners, um, nurse midwives, and folks who, when they're allowed to practice at the top of their license, can do really incredible work, are not always quite as expensive Um, or resource constrained as a physician may be, and they can be a little more flexible with their their time and their efforts. So that gives me some hope. Um, Can you speak a little bit about how the work that you're doing here at the Rural Health Research Center um, is being used in kind of the broader context um, of some of these solutions? I can. Um, I think, again, the best example of that comes from the work that we've done in obstetric unit closures, and that Katie Cosmodo led um, that work, but I was able to be a co-investigator on all of that. And so 
the Improving Access to Maternity Care Act that was passed in December. I did a Senate briefing on that in March of last year, and a lot of that bill was built around some of the research that we have done. There have been other federal policies that are built on the research that Katie has led and that we've done together. Um, so that's really exciting to see. And then there's been a lot of media traction on that project, but on a lot of our projects. Generally, the caregiving project, the Supportive Services for Informal Caregivers project was written up in the Wall Street Journal, and we have had good media relations with the New York Times, Washington Post, other big national media outlets where policymakers are really paying attention. But for me, some of the biggest impacts that I um, get satisfaction from are some of the traction on the state and local level. And so, for example, I did some research very recently on racial and ethnic disparities among rural communities, and that ended up on the front page of the Duluth newspaper. And for people in Duluth to be reading about racial and ethnic disparities and how that relates to their own community I think is a really wonderful outcome in and of itself if we can start having some of those conversations or start uh, inspiring some of those conversations in communities across the state and across the country. For me, that's a really positive outcome. And does the Rural Health Research Center um, do any partnership work with local communities? Uh, we are federally funded, and so almost all of our funding comes from the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy, and because of that, most of the work that we do is national in scope. That said, we really, and I personally, really value relationships across the country, but particularly within the Midwest and Minnesota and Wisconsin where we live, and so we definitely have... Um, those relationships where if there is a problem that we're trying to understand or if we're looking for on-the-ground inspiration for what research would really matter to people, we turn to community partners and people who are living in rural communities to inform the work that we do. Uh, I have a series of trips planned over the summer to spend time in rural communities across the state and region just to learn from and be with folks who are living in rural communities every day. It's a real limitation to live in an urban community and do rural research. And so as much as I am able to get out into the community and talk with people and learn from people, um, I, I do so. And I think the work is much better for it. Can you talk a little bit more about the um, health providers um, lack of resources and lack of availability of healthcare professionals in rural, the rural areas? Yeah, sure. So across the board from um, doctors, including specialists and primary care physicians, there are not enough of them in rural communities. Um, but then also nurses, nurse practitioners, physicians assistants, CNAs, personal care attendants, uh, the entire spectrum of the healthcare workforce, there are shortages across the board. Uh, most of the research around this has focused on people with MDs. I think that's changing. I think there's some good work going on to understand 
healthcare providers at all levels and with all types of training, but most of what we know and most of the policy efforts so far have been focused on MDs. And part of this is really, part of the workforce shortage is a volume issue where, for instance, for a community to be able to support a specialist in their town, you need to have enough people who need that specialty service. And that's not always practical or realistic. Sometimes it makes more sense for that person to be housed in an urban setting and for rural folks to travel to come and see them. Um, but that puts real constraints on people's ability to access the care that they need. Being able to travel to see someone sometimes means taking a day off of work, an unpaid day often, um, finding and affording the transportation that you need to get there, finding a place to stay in the area where you're going. All of those put real constraints on people's lives. And I think they're, I should have mentioned this earlier when we were talking about solutions, but I think one promising area is in telemedicine and thinking about how people can connect remotely with um, specialists, but with all types of providers so that they don't necessarily need to take the time and financial resources that are required to travel to get the care that they need. And how has progress on telemedicine been moving in that direction? Yeah, it's we're definitely moving in that direction, but I think moving more slowly than technology is moving in general. Um, and it, it, there are all sorts of reasons for that. Healthcare is just more complicated. It's literally can be a life and death situation. And so to figure out how to use technology well for healthcare is more challenging than figuring out how to use technology well in most of the other things that we do in our world. But there is a lot of really good work and research happening in that area. Could you talk a little bit more about the economic impact that I think you mentioned earlier of how that um, relates to also the lack of resources um, in the healthcare sector, the economic influence more broadly in the rural areas? Yes, economics are huge. Um, we know that chronic poverty is associated with poor health outcomes for a variety of reasons. It's stressful to the body. Um, to live in chronic poverty, it means that you may not have the resources to put food on your table that you need, to have a safe housing situation, um, certainly not to afford the health care that you need, um, transportation that's associated with all sorts of things. And rural areas, not all, not universally, but many rural areas have deep roots of poverty, chronic poverty. Um, rural areas have tended to have higher poverty rates and lower median incomes than urban areas. Um, and as I said, in the Great Recession, rural areas were hit harder. More jobs per capita were lost in rural areas, and fewer of those jobs have come back in rural areas than they have in urban areas. Rural areas are also, just by definition, there are fewer people who live there, and there are fewer employment opportunities. That means if you were to lose one job, there may not be a backup job for you available. It also means people can end up with fewer options available to them. So in the work that I did on workplace supports for informal caregivers, some people might look at that and say, well, they should just switch to a different job that's going to offer them the supportive services that they need. 
it's not always possible if you're in a setting where there may be one good employer in town, you're not going to be able to choose a different job based on the benefits available to you. It's not feasible or practical. Um, and, and so rural areas have vastly more economic constraints on them. That influences healthcare for a variety of reasons. You have higher uninsurance rates in rural areas, so there may be more uncompensated care in rural areas. You also have greater reliance on Medicaid in rural areas, and Medicaid reimbursement rates tend to be lower than private insurance reimbursement rates. Um, and for both of those reasons, it can be harder for healthcare facilities in rural areas to operate in the black. Um, that can make it really hard for healthcare facilities to stay in business in rural areas. And then it's a two-way street where we've seen hospital closures, clinic closures, nursing home closures in rural areas. And when your local hospital closes, that might have been the primary employer in the town. And that closes and that can devastate the community, economically speaking. And so it really is a, it can be a vicious cycle or a two-way street. Why are these issues, um, and also the, the good elements that you've mentioned um, on rural health, something that everyone, not just people working in the public health field, um, should be um, concerned and interested in? Sure. Well, I think for some of the reasons that I mentioned before, um, so much of our lives is influenced by rural areas. The food that we eat, the places we visit, the environment that uh, we care about, the energy that's produced, so much of that is based in rural areas or comes from rural areas. So I think for that reason, it, we all need to care about rural areas. Um, the vast majority of the land in this country and across the world is rural. If we say that we care about the nation as a whole, we can't exclude 80% of the landmass and we can't exclude the people who live there. And what would you say that the general public would be able to do to contribute to some of the solutions to these problems or acknowledge some of the benefits? I think there's a lot that the general public can do. I think for one thing, um, be open and curious to learning about rural areas, particularly if you're someone who has lived your entire life in an urban area. Uh, read something from someone in a rural area, get to know that, become acquainted with rural areas. If you're going on a road trip, consider getting off the interstate and go into town and find a local restaurant to eat at, support economic activity in rural areas. And then I think there's been a lot of attention to rural areas, especially in the past two and a half or three years, since the 2016 presidential election, there's really been a spotlight on rural areas. Um, and some of that has had positive impacts. People are learning more or talking more about rural areas. But it, there has also been a tendency to portray all rural areas as being the same. And a lot of the media coverage that we've seen about rural areas portrays rural areas as being largely white and largely lower income and largely male. And we know that that's not the case. Um, there is really rich diversity across every measure of diversity within rural areas. 
And so I would say the general public, I would challenge people to think about their own preconceptions and their own stereotypes about what rural means, um, challenge those assumptions, um, read something that's not familiar to them, visit a place that's new to them, and understand some of the connections that they didn't realize that they had with rural areas. Thank you so much, Dr. Henning-Smith, for taking the time to speak with us. We also wanted to hear about what health looks like for women in particular that live in these rural areas. To provide us with another perspective focusing on women's and maternal health, we talked with Julia Interante, a researcher at the Rural Health Research Center. Here's our interview. Can you tell listeners your name, um, where you work, your position, and your primary research interest, and what you're working on? Yeah, so my name is Julia Interante. I'm a PhD student um, here at the University of Minnesota in the Health Services Research and Administration Department. Um, I'm also a research assistant here at the Rural Health Research Center, and I work on um, all issues related to maternal health in the rural setting. So. And how long have you been working at the Rural Health Research Center, and how did you become interested in this topic of rural health, and more specifically, um, its relationship with maternal and women's health? Um, okay, so I started working here in the Rural Health Research Center in August of 2018, so I've been here just a little over a year. Um, but I started working in um, women's and reproductive health and maternal health for a while, um, so I actually um, started in undergrad, I um, double majored in international politics and gender studies, and I did spent some time working in South Africa, um, working on women's issues around access to antiretrovirals for HIV positive persons. Um, so that kind of got me into working in like women's health issues, um, and then I um, did my master's in epidemiology in Georgia at Emory. Um, and then I worked at the CDC for quite a while after that. Um, I worked in um, birth defects research for a while um, in a few different areas, working in like global tuberculosis and HIV, focusing on women's issues within those areas. So, um, so I actually spent quite a bit of time mostly in um, Sub-Saharan Africa and some in Southeast Asia. And so working in some rural areas there actually was more my introduction to working in rural settings, which is like surprisingly not that different from rural areas in the U.S. So, yeah, so they, they face a lot of the same challenges with transportation and access to resources, things like that. So, For listeners who might not be as familiar with this area of public health, how would you describe some of the main concerns surrounding women's health in a rural setting? Um, so, especially when it comes to reproductive health, there's a wide range of issues. So things from access to contraception and abortion, but also then once women are pregnant, um, access to prenatal services. And then uh, I think one of the big issues now, and uh, something that we've been focusing a lot of our research on is um, uh, during the delivery time and postpartum periods. Um, so that's where we see lots of rising rates of maternal morbidity and mortality. You see this um, happening and it's there's a lot of disparities um, racially and ethnically as well as geographically. Um, and in rural settings, a lot of this has to do with um, some of the challenges that are happening in rural areas already with um, hospitals closing. And even if the hospital doesn't close, sometimes um, often the maternity units have been closing. That's something um, that we've been doing a lot of research here on in the Rural Health Research Center. So, 
What have been some of the biggest surprises that you've seen in your recent work and research on women's health in this rural areas? Yeah, I think um, some of the most interesting things have been more in interactions that we've had with people living and working in rural communities in maternal health. Um, I mean, there's there are so many challenges, but also I think one of the really cool and inspiring things is the way that some of those people deal with the challenges that they've faced in rural areas. So, I mean, generally you're going to have lower birth volume, which means that doctors aren't dealing with cases as much, which makes it harder when you have a more complicated case come through. And already these rural settings have less resources and often end up having to transfer patients when there are um, complications that they just don't have the resources to handle at those hospitals. Um, but we did a site visit to Decorah, Iowa over the summer, um, and it was so interesting talking to people there, just how well, they were talking about some of the benefits they have working in rural areas where you really get to follow patients through their entire um, pregnancy and postpartum period. They're all family doctors that were delivering there, and so they were saying, whereas when you're in more of the urban setting where it's people are really specialized in different areas, they're not kind of getting to follow the patient the whole way through, and they said that was like really cool connection that they had with their patients that they didn't think that they would get so much in more of the urban setting. So I thought that was really interesting to hear from them. And So given what you have found in your recent work and research, um, are you hopeful about the future of healthcare in rural communities, especially for women? And what are some of the biggest challenges that you um, think that we are facing right now? And then to address those, what would be um, some of the best solutions? Okay, that's a big question. (laughs) Um, Let's see. So I would say right now, yes, I am hopeful because there have been, there's been a lot of media attention lately, which is, I think, really important when you're talking about any kind of policy change, you need to get people's attention for that. Um, So again, I think one of the biggest problems right now is these rising rates of maternal morbidity and mortality we're seeing um, alongside rural obstetric units closing. Um, And so I think some of the media attention that's come on that, and there's been a few um, bills recently um, at the federal level that have been aimed at addressing some of these issues. I think just more awareness about it I mean, it's been something that's been happening for a long time, and finally people are talking about it, which is the first step, right? Um, What was the rest of it? (laughs) Um, Could you talk about some of the challenges that we're facing and how you would address those with different solutions? Yeah. um, I mean, that's a hard one. Yeah. Um, Again, just getting resources to some of those settings. um, Funding for rural hospitals, especially for rural maternity units, so that they don't have to close. I mean... It's one of those things that's really hard. It's expensive to keep a obstetric unit operating, um, especially if you don't have a ton of births in the way we finance it. It depends on how many births you have. But even if there aren't a ton of births happening, there's still women giving birth, and they have to give birth somewhere. So so I think um, a lot of it's really policy solutions and funding solutions for some of those issues. And again, we're doing working more on the research, trying to figure out some other reasons why why these um, cases of maternal morbidity are happening when they don't, they shouldn't have to, you know. To ask a follow-up, why are we seeing such high rates of maternal morbidity and mortality in rural areas? 
Yeah, it's a hard one that a lot of researchers have been looking at for a while, um, and I think it's not one single factor that's really leading to it. It's kind of a combination of things happening all at once. So we have rising rates of obesity, which cause complications in pregnancy. We also have um, women getting pregnant at older ages. Again, that's not so as much of a problem in rural areas. People are still getting pregnant younger in rural areas compared to urban areas, but it's still an issue. Um, and then again, um, when you're having obstetrics unit closed too, and then it's, I mean, time is really important when it's um, a delivery setting. And if you you try to go to your local hospital and they don't have services and you have to be transferred somewhere else, all that takes time. And the longer that it takes, the more time there is for complications to get worse and not be treated. So it's kind of a combination of a lot of different factors, I would say. So as you're explaining that um, a lot of rural hospitals are closing, what are the alternatives for women um, that you've been seeing in your research? Yeah, so some who can plan ahead do, so they plan to go far away, which is hard because you can't plan when you deliver. It just kind of happens whenever. You, there's, just, there's a lot of unknown with pregnancy and delivery. Um, and that requires resources. So if you don't have the money and the transportation to be able to get somewhere, that's a problem. So there's a project we're working on this year looking at what happens in these rural areas when there is no obstetric unit in the entire county. Like what what are people doing? Because if someone shows up in your emergency room and you don't have anyone who's like, you're, they're not prepared, they don't have... Um, say someone needs an emergency C-section and there's not even an operating room, which happens a lot too. So we are actually working on a project this year where we're, we're talking to those people saying, what what do you do when people show up and you're, you don't have obstetric units who do this, you know? So I think that's something that we're, we're looking to find out. And where has your research mostly been focused? Um, talking about rural, there is rural yeah. all over the United which States. It's different everywhere you go, yeah. Um, so... We, all of our work in scope is national and we're funded from the federal office, so our work has to be national in scope. Um, so a lot of the, the data, I do a lot of like the data analysis side of things, um, and so that we use a lot of different data sets that are nationally based. Um, but then we go out and do site visits, which really connects like the research to what's happening, and make sure that we're asking the right research questions and answering the things that need to be answered. Um, and so for that, we go out and do site visits, which I think is a really cool and important connection with our research. Um, so obviously, some of the stuff locally is easier to get to, but we, we do try to go other places because, as you mentioned, like it's, it's really different depending on where you go. If you're in rural New Mexico or rural Alaska, it's really different than rural Minnesota or rural Tennessee. So... Another follow-up that I wanted to ask was, what is the impact on the community um, having this high rate of maternal morbidity and mortality, having um, just a lack of resources for women in rural settings? What is the greater impact on the community? I mean, I think it's huge. I, I mean, families are the basis of any community, you know, and if you have um, mother dying in childbirth or after childbirth, it affects not just the family, it affects the entire community. I mean, it's a tragic thing that is happening that shouldn't be happening just because we don't place as much focus in um, funding towards women's health, you know, so. To bring this issue of um, women's health, maternal health in um, rural areas, 
Could you maybe explain to our listeners why these issues of maternal and women's health in rural settings is something that everyone, not just public health professionals, not just the communities affected, should be concerned about? Yeah, so I'd say um, issues around maternal health in rural areas, it's kind of a, a sign of more of the systemic problems that we see in our in healthcare generally. And I think if you don't have a system that's working as a whole, that's a it's a problem across the board, you know? I mean, our our funding for Medicaid is all connected, even if it's rural versus urban, and if you're not treating people properly and it's costing more money, that's a problem too, you know? And when people can't deliver in local areas, they have to go somewhere else, and that causes issues in other areas too, you know? So it's kind of like this whole systemic problem that you can't just ignore one part of it and expect the whole system to run properly so which we we see there's problems in our healthcare system so so now that we obviously know that this, these are big issues that need to be addressed that aren't what can everyone do not just people who are in this field of public health but what can other people in other areas do to support this and to help um, bring awareness and you know help serve these populations yeah I mean I think um People just becoming aware, again, that's always the first step. Um, and like I said, there's there's been media attention on it, but I think even people just Googling stuff for themselves too to find out what's going on, so they're just generally aware of some of these issues that are happening because you never know when it's going to be you that's affected by it, you know? Um, and then just talking with people about it. I mean, anyone can email or call their legislator if there's an issue that they don't think that's being addressed that they think should be, and the more people that talk to the legislators, the more that those people hear this being an issue that other people are bringing up, and the more that it becomes something that matters to them, too. So, And then just a note on um, your work and research, what is, like, the final outcome, and what is your work and research kind of leading to? Um, I don't know, just to Im- improve women's reproductive health. So, um, again, a lot of that goes to access, but also practices that we might have in place that aren't leading to the best outcomes. How can we fix those? And what what of the options that we have, which are the ones that lead to the best outcomes? So kind of just understanding that more and trying to help people make better decisions. So the data that you gather, um, will you be publishing it? And then will that be accessible to everyone? Yeah, so um, we actually um, just published two papers from the work we did last year. One um, was looking at, um, so every, most states now have a maternal mortality review committee where they look at um, these cases within their state to see, um, like, what happened and did it need to happen and how can we come up with ways to prevent what happened in this case. And it's kind of just a a case study to try to work with um, come up with solutions so that it doesn't happen in the future. So we we looked at um, what every state was doing. Did they have a review committee set up? Was it legislated? Some have them where they're just um, um, set up through like historic systems with a um, like the American Medical Association or something like that where it's like a physician's group that's doing it. Other ones where are actually legislated where they have protections and they have required um, reporting um, aspects of it too, which is really important. I mean, if you're doing the, the research and 
you're maybe only doing it every five years instead of every year and you're not sharing it with anyone. It's not that helpful, you know? Um, so we looked at that and we looked to see um, if any of the states that had the review committees, if they were looking at rural areas specifically. And there were only two states that actually had it in their legislation that they were required to um, to include people on the review committees that represented rural areas, which is a problem. So <laughs> we actually just published that um, in um, in one journal, and then we just we just got another paper accepted at Health Affairs that's looking at um, this rural urban difference in maternal mortality review committees. So those two are ones that are coming out in peer-reviewed academic journals. Um, we also publish um, policy briefs that are just available on the Rural Health Research um, website, and so those are really easily accessible for anyone. There's a lot of information on all the work that we do there, so we kind of try to do a combination so it's accessible at, at every level possible. So, Thank you so much, Julia, for taking the time to speak with us. We hope that these public health perspectives on rural health and women's and maternal health in rural settings provide our listeners with new or better understandings of how we can all impact these issues in public health. Thanks for listening to this episode of Perspectives. We'd like to extend a big thank you to our featured guests for taking the time to speak with us and share their expertise with our listeners. If you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to check out the other episodes of this podcast as well as our journal publications. You can find all this and more at our website, z.unn.edu slash pubhealthreview. Thank you again for listening to Perspectives. Perspectives.